0: Andrea, how'd you get over the Christmas? Oh, get over is right. Thank God it's over now. What about you? Was it a meaningful Christmas? I've had a meaningful up to my tits at this stage. I'm not searching for (laughs) meaning anymore. I just want to be out of this fucking shit show. How was your Christmas? Um, Mine
1: was fine. It was nice. On that note, um, on that really, I think it captures uh, this year and what better way to start this podcast, which is
0: the inaugural United Ireland Awards. Are you excited about this, Andrea? I've got my dress on. I've got a hat, which I have, which I enjoy wearing a lot. Um, I got a blow dry and yeah, I'm all set for the awards. Roll out that red carpet. Well, um,
1: socially distanced, of course, Fuck that. if, the, if there I was haven't. one, if there was one phrase or caveat, kind of sentence caveat that people do all the time that I would never want to hear again. It's when people say things like, oh, yeah, and I just went for a coffee outside with my friend. Socially distanced, of course. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, But I think people are are so fucking terrified of judgment at the moment because it's flying around there like the fastest thing and fair enough, but uh, everyone's literally just like, just don't judge me. Whatever I do, please don't judge me.
1: Yeah, it's shame. Ultimately, it all comes down to shame and guilt. So, welcome to this uh, optimistic review of the year, uh, which includes our awards and our uh, our main observations of the year. I suppose we begin this with. Um, I hope you all had a meaningful, a meaningful Christmas, um, brought to you by the Irish government, and I hope you're not too freaked out right now because it is sketchy, and uh, we're thinking of everybody who is ill um and he's dealing with the harsher end of the pandemic at the moment but there's lots to talk about and before we get to our awards themselves before we are giving out these Gons. virtual gong virtual <laughs> virtual gong uh and I'd like you to run through your main observations of the year
0: what would those be I like to make them bullet pointed and also numbered um, because that's how my mind works. So I've got 10 observations which is very handy for uh, this weird world we live in. First up, my first observation, I have spoken about it a lot. Party politics are scarlet in general and this has been heightened by my mind obviously I've tuned in a lot more to it but watching when shit is going down and all that the party seem to care about is bringing the other party down it's like the one-upmanship the scoring points the 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 games and obviously my favorite sentence why is politics so political and um, the very nature of it but I really do think we could possibly look at a brighter future where it's not about parties. It's actually about the best way to rule. To rule is the wrong word. To run our country. With an iron fist. With an yeah. iron fist. This is the you do. <laughs> Number two on my observations. Um, anyone who follows me on Instagram will know I discovered nature this year. Um, and it uh, really was brought to the fore when we were all um within our 5k not visiting anyone the only thing we could turn to um apart from netflix was in fact nature parks mountains if they were in your vicinity the sea swimming it literally provided respite where nothing else could and uh soothed ourselves and i think that it was really a big discovery year for nature (laughs) 2020 the year nature was discovered but I think when people really tuned into it and into its healing into its calming into its uh energy giving into the fact the cycles of it that what dies comes back and all that jazz so yeah nature was very important equally as uh random not random what's the word I want to say I can't think of it space space was really important not the ones with the planets of but uh, i think that is important to us as it makes up our our energy fields and our planets and our our air um but space to live in and how important it is that people are afforded space if they need to be alone and like as we've said so much the pandemic highlighted things And everybody needs space. And I know for for being an extroverted introvert, space has really been important to me. And living with my mother for six months, which was wonderful, but not having my own space really impacted my body and my mind. And now I'm just coming to terms with unraveling all that. So we have so many... um, systems that don't allow space for people to live and um, to think to do anything like like direct provision but also we're building a lot that doesn't have space the likes of co-living and student accommodation and all that jazz and um, and i think the more the year has gone on the more it became clear how important space is to everyone to have a meaningful life as well as christmas Four, money is made up. <laughs> I'm really loving these by the way. Uh, money, it, it just struck me how easily when the will was there, we were able to support everyone who needed to be supported with the pub payments, with, um, with everything society needed if people wanted to do it. So it is a decision that we're making to deny this support to people to be able to live. And also in economic terms, now, who am I robbing this thought of? I think it's David McWilliams because obviously I have no rats. But lending rates are really down and that other thing that is really important is down as well, which means we can just print money. Which means money is completely made up, and money is being printed by the EU and by uh, the central bank and all the other people who make money. So if we don't have enough, we can just make more. So it just goes to prove that we have a system where we, on purpose, keep people down. Um, oh, yeah, it's funny all the conversations about like printing money
1: and things like that. I don't really understand how that was that's somehow back in fashion when the whole fear around that is that it makes inflation go
0: crazy. That was the, that was the economic term I was looking for. Inflation's (laughs) down. I'm going to start my economic column next week. Uh, What's on your number five observations? uh, The UK exists in a weird bubble and I can't emphasize how obviously you just don't understand. We've spoken about it in the why that is in terms of colonial um, explorations and all that kind of jazz. But it's not till you see it in real life when you have friends who are living there who haven't erased what's going on around the world. And when you get to November or December being like, yeah, welcome to the pandemic. It's like, how does the how have you managed to live in this complete bubble when you have the internet you're from different countries. Um, and it just blow, blew my mind of how, how bubbleicious the UK manages to be with their media and with their, like, it's literally a dictator's heaven because they, the, the British English listen so, to their government and do whatever they're told, even if it doesn't make sense. And there's, no, there's very little questioning a lot of the time. And to see that in real action was very bizarre to me.
1: Also, people are very atomized in terms of like a society being very individualistic. Yeah. So it's like, but yeah, I mean, I think we'll talk about this on another podcast, but like looking forward, like let's say 10 years or maybe even 15 years away, you know, what the ultimate outcome of Brexit is going to be and self-isolation of a nation of a different kind and how that actually plays when there's nobody to blame outside of the place for one's grievances. Like, where do they turn um, to blame? Who do they blame for? You yourself to blame. Well, like, who do they blame for, you know, the economic issues they're going to have? And that won't end well. And obviously, Fintan has written a lot about English nationalism. You kind of look at the more fascistic tendencies um, and racist tendencies in the society and probably won't end well. <laughs> anyway, after the roaring 20s comes something else. I can't quite put my foot... Um, okay,
0: uh, what, what's number six? Social media is dangerous. <laughs> um, and that comes back to... How we've seen it impact such big events, the likes of Brexit, the likes of U.S. politics, lot, fanning the flames of fascism, bringing controlling democracy, um, and all, and that's even before you delve into the anxiety and depression that it has in terms of comparing yourself to others and the the mental health aspects that come with social media. Um, and but not just like on social media is a platform but it's the people behind the platform which we've discussed many times number seven coronavirus exposes privilege and um, I suppose when there is if you've been a person who has literally done everything in your power to stop the spread of coronavirus from the outset and there and you are you are bringing your benefits to more people. And then when other people are on the other side, not following it as such, you, the benefits you're bringing are taken away by the downside of other people's actions. And being able to have that privilege to make those decisions to suit yourself when there's a collective involved um, has really, I suppose, driven a wedge in terms of judgments and but also in terms of privilege really coming through this year I think it really has been a focus for a lot of people not a lot of people people have exposed their privilege a lot and number eight is the fact that conspiracy really catches on and in times of uh questioning um and unsureness and obviously everything about this year we didn't have a rats where things were going what was happening and it was the perfect uh place for for conspiracy to rise amongst people who wouldn't necessarily buy into conspiracy at an at a more normal time um and have you i haven't really noticed a lot of it recently have you noticed it going up or down
1: no i think the um the Trump election loss offered some kind of bookend to the current wave of QAnon, for example. Mm. Um, And I think that, uh, I think you're right, like the pandemic really accelerated lots of conspiratorial thinking. Um, I think the kind of depleting trust in media is also part of that. Social media, obviously part of it. I think we're in a bit of a Um, dip in conspiracy right now but I think it's very very temporary and I mean a dip that might be for like a couple of months or whatever Um, obviously all the anti-lockdown stuff which we're going to get into in a bit as well is part of that so yeah I don't know what comes next Um, I always think that uh, as well when stuff feels like a little bit
0: quiet that's when uh, we should Something's brewing. Something's brewing. Number nine, culture is essential. Um, We, apart from turning to nature, turn to culture, be it uh, music streaming, be it Netflix movies, be it uh, TV shows, be it books, um, podcasts, radio. um, It's what makes our hearts sing. And I think that was reinforced that the point of life is definitely lies within the culture sphere. Um, to fill your heart and soul with light and energy and finally I don't really mention it a lot but uh, the importance of clubbing and the fact that clubbing is culture even though it's often so often disregarded as part of culture so it goes in at number nine as well but just to reinforce that clubbing is indeed culture and how those dance floors are going to sigh when we get back to them
1: there well, are. I think that's a fantastic summary of the year, to be quite honest. <laughs> that's
0: it. <laughs> up. Thank, thank,
1: Thank you for those observations. And now, what was the Irish political year about? Big picture. OK, so just to um, summarise an entire year of endless uh, political <laughs> <laughs> events, um, zooming out a little bit, this is what we've kind of been thinking about uh, beyond the tit-for-tat stuff. Um, what what are the broader kind of trends? Obviously, the political change uh, that the election showed uh, back in February. Um, the rise of Sinn Féin, uh, the, which is, you know, I was writing my column this week, um, on Monday, that that's not actually a, all about Sinn Fein. It's about something something bigger. So that change um, and that election was really seismic, even though it's it's been obviously overtaken by bigger events.
0: Can I interrupt? Um, a this question. Why go on. Why do you think it was Sinn Fein, and why was it not Sock Dams or Labour who managed to get fill that vacuum?
1: Well, I think Sinn Fein have a stronger brand. Um, they have more candidates, even though we'll get into later about the issue with, with, with that Um, I think that they are, have managed to, well so Labour are still you know kind of damaged from the decimation of the government that they were in in John Burton era um, Sock Dam is a really small party, they actually did quite well in the election with the candidates they had so Sinn Féin have been building and building, you know, a grand game um, building kind of Relative political experience in office through councils. I um, had that a massive uh, election in in, in twenty fourteen in the councils. People can kind of forget about. Then again, they did quite quite poorly um, in the most recent one. And I think that there, the stuff around patriotism, nationalism, um, United Ireland, speaks to a kind of a new found kind of confidence that's rooted in that identity. I don't, I think that those things can go wrong as well. Um, but I think that there is a generational shift that is more rooted in Irish identity than um, the last few ge- cycles of generations, I think. And I think that um, loads of stuff is kind of coalescing around the very appealing and, you know, populist, whatever you want to call them, messaging uh, around housing and um, around an anti-establishment kind of stance uh, really appeals to the masses and masses of people who are actually still dealing with the trauma of the Great Recession. So I think all of those things and more are the reason that that Sinn Féin ended up filling that vacuum. Um, A huge thing obviously has been, even though it has been totally chaotic, this like stopgap Government, if only for how by joining forces, Finoal and Finegal are potentially depleting their power um it's seen as as historic that two political rivals come together, but I think it speaks to how unremarkable um those parties are in terms of their obviously they're both having an identity crisis. Um, probably Finnefull more so than Fine Gael but them teaming up really now positions them as a block. Whereas previously they were, you know, two sides, even if they were two sides of the same coin or whatever. And that is going to have kind of long term effects as them being kind of boxed off as the centre right block or centrist block, and then the left uh, broadening out and creating that. Spectrum in a more defined way than has existed before. I read yesterday's paper by Stefan Muller and Aidan Regan about you know they have all this kind of data and research done on on the uh, this this most recent election as well on how the Irish electorate it has actually shifted to the left, um, which is worth reading. I tweeted it the other day. If you want to read that. I think another thing is how Ireland has shown really strong social cohesion. Like you were mentioning Britain there, Andrea, around like the whole, like, you know, people not really knowing what's going on and them obviously dealing with the pandemic really poorly. And then you look at how Ireland is. And yes, there have been some good decisions made by government. Some bad decisions were made made in terms of dealing with the pandemic. But what has been really, really noticeable is our social cohesion, uh, compliance with with like rules, um, and also kind of the social support and solidarity, and obviously
0: that is a kind of a national characteristic.
1: Yeah, I, also- I not
0: think it's just rules. It's kind of banding together. I feel like yeah. I feel like when, yeah. you're, when you're like we we follow the rules, but we don't just follow them blindly. Like I feel like there is a well that doesn't make sense call out, it, but. It, for the greater good there is a sense of banding together Um, and then less less kind of class system that is like well we're not going to do that or whatever it kind of feels like okay let's go
1: yeah and I think that obviously marriage equality and repeal as two remarkable moments of social cohesion um, and kind of non-partisan solidarity and support really kind of created laid the groundwork for that for obviously not for that as as a whole but but in contemporary times really contributed to to kind of what we're experiencing now um we are going to do an episode of predictions but i think in this moment it's also kind of interesting to wonder about what happens next uh for our society and i suppose it'll mostly be driven by the economic and quality of life fallout of the pandemic you know where will the chips fall, um, there is massive, massive youth unemployment right now, uh, which people kind of aren't really paying attention to. In November, it was 47.3%, which is ginormous and young people are going to be uh, impacted most by the pandemic financially and in terms of opportunities and their livelihoods and so on. And also have already been dealing with really depleted quality of life um, be that from living situations uh, cost of renting and also like not being able to socialize not being able to like if you're in college to be on campus or that kind of crack
0: in terms and young of women unemployment though a lot of young people work in the type of industries that have been shut down so yeah. when they open up again you would hope that that will really go down
1: yeah and i yeah i i, I agree um, but i also wonder you know I don't think we're going to be in a situation where that's going to be opening up hundred percent capacity and an exact mirror of what it was, you know, businesses will go um, and it'll be a, a lot, a longer, more staggered process. Um, and young women especially are, um, have been more impacted, like generally in recessions, it's younger men who are really hit because it's stuff around construction and things like that, that fall apart in this instance, as you say, like people who are working in hospitality, in retail, um, and in different services like that, uh, you know, everything from you know your own business, Andrea, to to kind of businesses like yours, um, it is younger women who are taking the biggest hit. And then you also have the burden of childcare that uh, the majority of it falls to women and and has done a good deal uh, throughout the pandemic, from homeschooling to looking after kids. Although, obviously, another positive I suppose of pandemic has been men spending m- more time or fathers or whatever spending more time with their children Um. so I think that we know that young women have been at are, are kind of huge political influencers in Ireland I suppose um, it's not really a thing that's spoken about that much but when you look at things like marriage equality which obviously there was loads and loads of LGBT people, loads of those people are women as well Um but there was also a lot of uh, support from cis-straight women in that movement. And then you look at repeal, which is a feminist-led movement, um, and you look at the trends in uh, voting trends, like I think it was uh, female voters between 18 and 24 increased 94% in turnout uh, between from repeal compared to the previous election. Wow. Um, and that vote has obviously hung around a little bit, considering the popularity um, uh, of Sinn Féin amongst certain cohorts of younger women. So I don't think younger women are really properly examined in the way that they should be in terms of their political influence, and that can be as as simple as what their how their voting has a kind of a contagious or influential. Um, impact in peer groups, in households, all that kind of stuff. So if younger women are going to be the most financially impacted by this, then that's also going to be another, there'll be another kind of um, impact of that. I, I I just don't really know what, what that looks like, but I think it will be important. Um, the tech lash continues. Big tech falls out of favor every other day from billionaires racking up more billions, to uh, conspiracy theories um, and hate being fostered on social media platforms, to everybody realizing how toxic Facebook is, to the impact of um, on cities, gentrification in terms of tech, culture, life, offices and transit workers and so on. And as you say, Andrea, the impact on our minds. Brexit and our new relationship with Britain and how it may not necessarily be a good one, it sometimes feels like, and what the impact will be on the inevitable breakup of the union, be that Scottish independence and the increasing conversation around united or shared Ireland. And then more generally, the political change that's happening and how that's actually part of a broader cycle that we're in and how that will continue to happen. And I think that one of the big things, one of the big issues of our day is orientates around Dublin. I know we're always talking about issues related to Dublin, but I do think that the issues in the kind of Irish capital encompass many of the grievances that a lot of younger people have or that a kind of broad generation, let's say, has. That's quality of life issues, Um, around childcare, around commuting, around transport, around nice things, around good design, around uh, public resources, around all of those types of things that are about creating good places to live in and thrive in. And when those things are impacted by poor planning, by an unimaginative city council, by homogenous design by unwanted development that doesn't serve the people who want to make the city their home, um, by a city that doesn't really serve a diversity of people in terms of What are you saying?
0: White water rafting was put in there for God's sake, (laughs) unimaginative. Give me
1: a break. Okay, that is very imaginative I suppose. Um, The rental crisis, homelessness, uh, things being expensive, um, gentrification, uh hotel development excessively, co-living stuff, public land being given to private developers, and the city's social space and cultural space being erased and the nighttime economy not properly being uh prioritized. And also not about being nighttime economy, but just about nighttime culture and this sense that like Dublin is boring. And I think that those frustrations and when People get frustrated about like who's actually pulling the strings and who's really in control here. I think a lot of that feeds into this kind of general pissed offness, really, about like what people want and what they're getting
0: and the divide between that. And also, as an aside, we will be doing an episode because Dublin City Council are looking for submissions for their um, plans, development plan for Dublin till 2028. Yeah, so we're going to be doing that Alrighty, so that's our very broad
1: summary and now to the inaugural United Ireland Awards. I have awards written twice here, the United Ireland Awards Awards of 2020. (laughs) Okay, I've taught long and hard about these awards and we've gone back and forth. We've had multiple consultations and uh, we have divided them into politics and culture. And society. Oh, and society as well. Um, so because those are the things that we talk about. So um, let's go. Let's just get straight oh in God. there. Let's go. Number one. What's the first award? <laughs> okay. The first award is the best new kid on the block, TD. TD. There are two I'm contenders. <laughs> oh yeah, we should put some NK NKOTB in there, Andrew. Okay, so there are two contenders, um, and they are both in the purple corner. They are two social democrats. And our contenders for Best New Kid on the Block TD are Gary Gannon, friend of the pod,
0: and Holly Kearns. Andrea, what are your thoughts? My thoughts are Holly Kearns has really, really stood out this year. Um, And (laughs) in terms of what she brings to the table, it's fair to say it's a lot. Um, From... She was- How have RTE not booked you yet for like reviewing review the year now? Uh, in terms of making waves, I think when we did our um, interview with Kate O'Connell, um, she was highlighting Holly Kearns and the work she was doing um, back then. And she really kind of then progressed in terms of um I just think she's a really classy way of doing things in terms of being able to stand up for herself, uh, make her points, um, be sound to other people, but also not, but being strong in the way she does it. And like some of the things she's tackled have been like uh, the greyhound scrap she's been in and her stance on uh, with Helen McEntee and just the general um, soundness of offering up her vote to support another woman who's pregnant and um, her work on the mother and baby homes archive. And um, uh, so, yeah, I just, I just feel like she's doing good shit in a sound way without being like, it feels like the new wave of politics of, be, of not having to be um, social media trained and told what to say and um, make some cool social media content. She's just, I feel like she's our AOC. So,
1: um, with all respect to Gary Gannon, I don't want to be accused of bias here as he has been a guest on the podcast. So, I think it's fair to say Holly Kearns wins Best NKOTB TD. Yay!
0: Congratulations, Holly. Um, we'll send your award in the post. Um, we could probably think about doing maybe, maybe we'll do awards. Number two, the Best OG TD um, Una, do you want to tell us who's getting this award and why? Or why this is who?
1: This is someone who fights the corner of striking workers, who stood up for artists, who railed against the cutting of the pup and who ended the year by making Tisha Michal Martin make an absolute fool of himself. Doing what? That's right. Saying the bailout never happened. Um, that's right. The best OG TD award goes to the Notorious or BB, Richard Boy Barrett.
0: No, no, no t- so this, oh gosh, this is so annoying to say this, but he always seems to have a smile on his face, and is tends to be in like obviously he's sh- normally shutting down the doll, but he also seems, always seems to be good humoured. I've noticed.
1: I did like the way he kind of speaks. or He's very uh, competent. It's just speaking off the cuff, speaking off the top of his head, and just gets everything out. You know, you don't usually see him, you know, stick into these really. Um, practice scripts that just seem very authentic he just kind of you see he's he's an authentic uh, orator yeah now our next award is multifaceted it is the top five Scarlito's Way slash Scarlett Johansson moments for the government these are narrowed down from 900 embarrassing mishaps the government made we've narrowed them down to oh actually I thought we narrowed them down to five we've actually narrowed them down to six
0: I put so it sneaky got, one in.
1: <laughs> we've, we've got five runners up, and then we have the most scarlet moment award. Um, the top five uh Scarlita's way moments for the government, uh Barry Count's literal U-turn, uh the the shenanigans around that um supposed uh driving um Driving
0: what us all crazy say? is what you Driving,
1: driving us <laughs> <driving> all <laughs> so crazy. Indiscretion—that's uh, definitely in there. Leo Vradker's very drawn out. Um, apology for leaking a confidential document. Did we really get um, an
0: apology? I don't class that as an apology. Yeah, it was kind of an explanation, let's say. And a, and a, and uh, a very big throwing under the bus situation of anyone who was in the storyline. <laughs> <laughs> and did like um, uh, I did like Dr. Zero Cracks return to Twitter when he was literally like, oh, it's nice to have someone else being thrown under the bus with me now. Oh, yeah. Zing. Um, the,
1: the, the Dr. Tony thing, yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I suppose really what elevates this from um, just an ordinary embarrassing moment to a genuinely scarlet moment is how everyone in Finnegale gave a speech about how amazing Leo Vracker was <laughs> at the same time. It was like, it was just like 21st or something. It's like, please stop. <laughs> um, so that's really what tips it over now into the scarlet category. Uh, it was another never
0: ending as well. It was literally like, how can you make this drag out with all these virtues that he has? Jeez, Louise!
1: Um, another another really really scarlet um, moment for the government was when uh, when when the government when we were plunged into a constitutional crisis uh, with regards to the judiciary. If anybody has forgotten that, um, and Seamus Wolf. Um, old Wolfie and Frank Clark's uh, the Chief Justice correspondence was made public, and just these like two judges writing to each other, going, "You really now, you really need to really think about the fact that you have fucked up so much." And it's like, well, do I? Um. So and then, and then it, it just didn't. went away it just went away. Uh, that was a scar. These are actually more kind of
0: things that the government got away with actually, but anyways. Um- I cannot believe the brass neck of Seamus Wolf. And mm. like, I would like to say you'd almost admire him, but I definitely do not. But it just, he just was like, no, I'm just not going to. I, I'm just digging my heels in. I am not leaving. And that is the end of it. And, just didn't
1: he truly is the Jess Brennan of the Supreme Court (laughs) no
0: Jess Brennan's a hero
1: I love Jess Brennan Jess Brennan is one of the people of
0: the year in my opinion she Um, fucking reefed through the end of year summaries for having a fucking brunch piss off like anyway come
1: on Um, her her non-apology was also one of my favourite things ever it's like yes Jess (laughs) Um, so another Scarlet moment um is actually this was Scarlet and just terrible. When all of the well I have written down here social welfare narcs at the airport. But when people were getting asked about um their the, the social welfare that they're on for like flying out of the airport and when uh pup was being cut or children's allowance or whatever and the massive data issues around that, the mass privacy issues around that, um, Heather Humphrey's very, very shoddy explanations of it.
0: And again, just kind of went away. And also adding into that social welfare um, thing, recently the fact that Helen, uh, yeah, it was Helen Mark- complete kept denying that the DEASP uh, were using uh, facial recognition technology over and over again we're not doing it, we're not doing it, we're not doing it and then actually it turns out they are using it
1: Yeah that's kind of Scarlet isn't
0: it? That's more than Scarlet, it's fucking terrifying
1: I haven't been following that so I can't speak to it
0: Well, Um, all you need to say is it's absolutely outrageous truly, truly outrageous
1: Now we have a very late entry um, for the top six Scarleto uh, moments for the government. Um, and you know, fair play really to Finnegail because not a day goes by uh, when there's not something else, but they're just released bloopers reel of their own already terrible social media content as a piece of content to put on the internet at this moment in time um, where people are kind of like, our lives are falling apart and Fine Gael's like,
0: OMG 2020 was so random, wasn't it? Lads? <laughs> I think my favorite uh, comment from you this morning was, um, you're highlighting the mistakes on top of the ones you've already made. Like you don't <laughs> really need to put a whole blooper reel out about this. <laughs> It goes back
1: to my comment ages ago, uh, observing Finnegal's altered social media strategy. Now, strategy is in quotations here in the aftermath of the election, where everybody was like, You're totally disconnected from the electorate, and every- like loads of people hate you. What are you and- talking
0: about? I make scones. Here's a video <laughs> of me making scones. I'm a person, I eat scones. Nom, nom. <laughs> what has that got to do with politics oh my god it's so contrived the contrived like i don't have a problem i don't have a problem in it personally with people being people if like politicians are people let's not forget and so when people have their social media politicians included where they're doing their bits grant but it's the contriveness of it it's like okay what would you do that that a people would do what would the people do a people oh uh, would make scones. I will make scones. Okay, that's what it's like. I go. A uh, people would go for a walk on a cliff. I'll go for a walk on a cliff. Like, and they do. They do do the bloopers at the end of the year. Let's do that. Your bloopers are shit. You just kind of like your hair blew in your face. That that'll do. Oh gosh.
1: It's in bits. Um, yes, I mean it goes back to. Yeah, so that this whole thing of how they changed their social media strategy from like Benny Hill videos, feet full, then they're like, shit, we're in government now. Can't really keep painting them as cartoonish fools. Um, must actually try and figure out what our identity is. And, and clearly the identity that they figured out is like, we are the party for the basics. And let's do loads of basic shit that people will go, ah, oh, look at them, look at them there, going swimming and cycling and f- making lattes. And it's it's very funny in, in some ways. It's obviously really, really bad content, um, but the strategy is very, very rudimentary. And and to a certain degree, it will cut through, um, I think, to people who aren't thinking about politics and aren't thinking about their ideologies and are just thinking about the personalities and the very, very basic kind of infantile type of communication that is profoundly anti-intellectual, that is, n- that is just like talk about everything and, but, but, but the actual but politics. politics. Yeah. And, and and that's what, why I said ages ago, I remember loads of like centrist bros were slagging me off um about you know
0: how
1: <laughs> yeah you are not allowed to be intelligent because you are a woman um, that's kind of only half joking but um, the how they how they have internalized influencer culture in their political communications like in the, in their public facing comms mm-hmm. um, and how it's it's so transparent and it's also like so neoliberal. And at the time I was making the correlation between what New Labour did was they in the in in Britain is that they took, you know, the dominant um I don't know, I guess like aesthetics and, and semantics of the time around uh, marketing and advertising culture. And they use that to like, you know, push the new Labour brand. And obviously the dominant kind of comms of, of the moment, even though it's really kind of falling off, is this very, very superficial side of influencer culture. And that is what Fine Gael is internalizing. And that is the type of aesthetic that they are embracing because they feel like that will be something that will reach the masses. Um, but the thing is, is that like most people or certainly the people are kind of the vanguard of political change, thinking, culture, society, a discourse, um, media and so on are just like really, really beyond that. You know, like people are smarter than that. Um, They have higher standards than that. And so it's, it's just not going to cut through. It will cut through to the people who basically fucking don't really think that deeply about stuff, which is fine. Um, and those people cross all kinds of like backgrounds and geography and socioeconomic kind of groupings, it's like a very diverse cohort, people who don't really think that deeply about stuff. But in terms of the people or the or the kinds of of thinking, I suppose, that has momentum, that is forward looking, that is ambitious, that has these like wider aspirations and that, you know, is thinking deeply about society and trying to imagine how we progress as a country, this type of, of calms and patronizing and stupidity basically is just and like it's 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 so kind of grotesque and
0: foolish almost. And even um, though, even in influencer culture it has progressed so much that there's like there's an intellectual um call out of of influencer culture within the culture. So if you're Correct. even bringing that out of the culture um, and into politics, there's an even greater call out culture, even within influencer culture itself.
1: Yeah, agree. Um, but believe it or not, Fine Gael's late entry blooper reel, uh, which somehow didn't include any of their uh, bad policies and, and thinking this year, but just, you know, somebody flub- flubbing a line. Um, <laughs> so funny. Like a, like a real human man um, that is not our number one most scarlet moment
0: because our number mo- one most scarlet yeah. moment for- Before you go on, I think one of my most favourite scarlet moments is people reposting the blooper reel Go, oh my god this is brilliant it's like what did you, did you watch the same thing as me really yes. um, go on number one most scarlet moment
1: it's the GG it's golf gate it's gotta be OK, most dramatic moment this year in politics. Um, a lot of people now have kind of. Been talking about the speech of the year and stuff like that, and the calm before the surge thing that Leo Varadkar did, but for me, I don't know about you, Andrea, but for me, the most dramatic moment was, in fact, Leo Varadkar as Taoiseach, kind of caretaker Taoiseach, um, his speech in Washington.
2: I know that some of this is coming as a real shock and it's going to involve big changes in the way we live our lives. And I know that I'm asking people to make enormous sacrifices, but we're doing it for each other. Together we can slow the virus in its tracks and push it back. Acting together as one nation, we can save many lives. Our economy will suffer, but it will bounce back. Lost time in school or college will be recovered. And in time, our lives will go back to normal. Above all, we all need to look out for each other. Ireland is a great nation. We're a great people. We've experienced hardship and struggle before. We've overcome many trials in the past with our determination and our spirit. And once again, we will prevail. Thank you very much.
0: Number five the highlights, highlights, you say, of the political year. Una, what with us.
1: Well, I'm not sure if maybe we should have renamed this one to the most dramatic, but like political, anyway, it's still, it's the highlight of political year. Anyway, I feel like the highlight was, um, and these were in simpler times, simpler times in February, the absolute drama of the split decision exit poll uh, from the Irish Times on election night, 22% for Fianna 22% 22% for Sinn Féin, 22% of Fine Gael from the portion of the vote. I remember I was actually in the cinema at the time. I remember looking, I was one of, like, I've never done this, I've never done this before. I've never checked my phone in the cinema, just FYI. But obviously I was sneakily checking it um, and that I was waiting for the exit poll to come through. And uh, when it did, just that, that, graphic that figure was like holy shit it's actually happened like all of the things we were talking about this um, duopoly of power is is frozen in time and something else is happening here and something seismic is being reflected Um, yeah so I thought that was pretty
0: dramarama fair play to you for remembering February like (laughs) I can't remember a time that exists pre-coronavirus
1: February 8th. Mad. Um, now, low moment of the political year award. This is a bit of a tie here. Um. I'm going to, well, will I talk about the two entries that we have, that we have made up? And then maybe you can, fe- you can just feed back okay. there. Okay, Andrea? you,
0: you p- pitch them to me and I'll decide what's, go- okay. what's going in the sim bin.
1: Um, so number one low moment of the political year I think is Fianna Fáil being back in government um, and that's not to be mean or personal or anything, I just think that it felt like the wrong kind of echo from the recession um, and it felt very un- reflective of the direction and the change that people were seeking. And also a lot of their, you know, TDs aren't really up to much. I mean, you can kind of say that about most parties to be fair. And, uh, yeah, it just felt very like kind of depressing. I mean, if we kind of can can think back to when there wasn't something else, incredibly terrible happening, uh, that, that overtook all of these events, um, I just remember that kind of the protracted government formation just gone, oh really, like this is happening. And I think a lot of people who emigrated, um, and who who kind of haven't been back, who emigrated because Fianna Fáil, uh crashed the economy and and were so unbelievably um irresponsible and reckless. And ha- what that did to all of our lives, um, you know, basically kind of losing everyone a decade, uh, more or less in terms of pushing things back, be that through home ownership Starting a family, job opportunities, uh, all of that kind of stuff, and I remember talking to a couple of people who kind of left at that time because they lost their jobs and, and haven't moved back, and just and just, them just like not fucking getting it at all, you know. Um. So that I feel like was a low moment. The
0: other well, one is more. Je- I would like want- to say I'm glad Mihal Martin got his moment as Cisha.
1: He yes, well, we know your feelings on, on, on that, Andrea. He does to
0: be shock at all costs. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that matter. <laughs> sometimes dreams come true.
1: Yeah, definitely. sometimes dreams do come true. So the other low moment is a more general one. And it's just about this kind of crazy media commentary um, that has been happening uh, at, at various moments throughout the year. The ridiculous, some of the ridiculous commentary around the Sinn Féin election results. Um, Obviously, no party should be beyond criticism, but some of it was just so hyperbolically bananas and uh, all over the place and, and really kind of spoke to a broader disconnected media. That... So that's one part of the crazy media commentary. The other part is like anti-lockdown or lockdown skeptic commentators who are, have absolutely no understanding of the science or the behavioral science or anything else, but are just like rigid, rigidly thinking and won't actually face, you know, the collective mortality situation or, or have any vulnerability and just be like, no, no. Um, and and making all these ridiculous freedom arguments and, you know, railing against zero COVID strategy uh, because that is somehow an impingement of freedom. Yet we know that the one country in particular that pursued that very successfully, such as New Zealand, now has loads of fucking freedom and everyone's going to rugby matches and gigs and hanging out with their friends. So how's that for uh, being liberated? Um, Another part of crazy media commentary, Dan O'Brien shouting on the radio that Ireland would go bankrupt. Uh, during the pandemic was a moment. And Michael yeah, McDeal
0: saying journalists are... Dan O'Brien obviously didn't tap into my my analysis of money is fake. No. I'll be giving him some lectures in the coming year.
1: <laughs> and um, Michael McDiall saying journalists are a load of communists was pretty special. So what do you think of those ones? Which do you think wins? Crazy media commentary or Fianna Fáil being back in government is a low moment?
0: I think you can choose to turn off media. You can't choose to turn off your, your leaders and government. So I am going to put Fianna Fáil being back in the government in the sin I mean, give them the award for the lowest moment <laughs> of the Congratulations. year. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> Number seven. Um, yes. Yeah. I can't believe I did that. I'm so random. Award. <laughs> God, we really we really went all out on these award titles. Who's getting that, Anna?
1: I feel that the owner of this award is a collective award and it's Sinn Fein TDs doing mad shit, saying mad shit, tweeting mad shit, um, and generally just, you know, <laughs> you kind of get the sense that like Mary Lou at all are just like, put a lid on it. Don't go through anyone else's Twitter. And I think there's just I mean, do you know what's funny actually, Andrea? Tell me what's and funny. Maybe, Luna. maybe we could play this play this clip now. We actually back in May asked Mary Lou MacDonald about this, about how she was going to deal with the massive challenges of having inexperienced and newly elected TDs in such great numbers.
3: Um, and this is what she said. It's a huge step up. And I mean, even if you say if you're a person who has uh, served on a local authority on a council for a number of years and you have experience, you've accrued, experience, it's still a huge step up. I mean, this is, as they say, senior hurling or camogie. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's a huge challenge. I mean, I remember walking in, into this place the first day and I had, I had experience at a European level, but not at a council level. And I remember, you know, learning. I remember that feeling coming in and trying to absorb how things are done and even the atmosphere of the place and so on. And then how you carry yourself in terms of your constituency work, in terms of what you say publicly, in terms of what you do not say publicly. And all of these things are learned. I mean, nobody comes through. Well, very few come through the gate on day one, the finished, the finished product. So, yes, um, I think our new uh, TDs who have been elected are very conscious themselves that they have a huge amount to learn. It's not, at this time, their frustration I imagine is that they can't come in and learn in the way that all of us learned how to, the committees, how to, and of course the, the piece around how you interact on social media. It's one thing when you're a private, anonymous citizen thinking out loud about any subject under the sun. It's an entirely different thing when you have the privilege of being elected in here, but it takes you time. In fairness, it takes time for people to adjust to to that. So yeah, we're going to have to mentor people, develop them. Um, What they have in common is that they're all, they're all very different personalities and backgrounds, but they all have like strong, strong qualities in terms of like grassroots, activism that's actually the key thing if you're say God these are all very very different yes they are but that's the, the common thread that pulls them together so
1: there you go we um, not to say we called that as well but uh it was a thing and you kind of do feel like now that there's so many um people who don't have an incredible amount of political experience and Got elected, although they have a lot of kind of campaign organising uh, an activist experience. Got elected on um, the Sinn Fein brand. That you, you know, this is just going to keep happening. I mean, when you think about it, Sinn Fein has thirty-seven TDs in the door, and like you really only hear from a four. few of them. You know, who's your four? Mary Lou, Pierce, Owen, and Louise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably the most dominant one. The Marit Farrell as well. Um, but yeah you kind of like it's kind of one of those things that like any, you could hear anything like you could hear like you could pick up the newspaper and it'd be like a Sinn Féin TD and in, in, you know has been found to be raising big cats in you know Carlo and it'd be like yeah. that, that kind of checks out yeah I'd, I'd believe that
0: <laughs> there's a lot of uh, un, like there's a lot there's a lot of mania. That's my input into the whole thing. There's a lot of mania. Next up, anyway, we'll move on. Number eight. (laughs) Oh, that's, that's, there's a statement. (laughs) Number eight.
1: This is the, do you know what? Your sound award. (laughs) Who gets that? Who gets that? Who wins this award? The
0: queen of calm. um, Catherine Connolly gets it. So poised and elegant in her delivery of speeches and points. Um, She's just sound.
1: Yeah, she is signed. Um, so, congratulations on that award—the do you know what your sound award? I do For feel the sorry independent, for her sometimes
0: when she's ringing that bell. Yeah, shut up! Just shut up, everyone! It's like, okay, they're not. They're, just shut up, please. <laughs> yeah.
1: She's also uh, the woman who upset the government um, when she won the appointment of the last king Corla of the doll as well, uh, which was another. Um, early early screw up um, for, for the government so yeah um, that's an award for Catherine Connolly and what's okay the next up That Scabby Award
0: and the That Scabby Award goes to the people who cut the pup in a time of need when people are literally having their lives put on hold um, and it was decided that you know what let's cut that Say what? Um, there's such a disconnect, I suppose, of from people who definitely do not have to try and survive on the pup, um, through uh, yeah, with their businesses closed or their their line of income gone, um, and the people making those decisions are definitely not in that world, connected or otherwise. And our
1: final political award—it's the best idea award
0: the best idea goes to giving TDs maternity leave what a revelation um, yeah it's so bananas do you know this is a complete side no they paid
1: maternity leave paid I should mater- have put in there um, yeah.
0: but I watched Mary Queen of Scots the other day Please mm-hmm. Louise it's hard being a woman in politics <laughs> <laughs> Off in her head, like the drama. (laughs) And
1: those are our United Ireland Political Awards. And now for culture.
0: I don't think it's going to come as any surprise to anyone. The Album of the Year from United Ireland goes to, wonder who it is, it's the Queen, just Queen herself, uh, Roisin Machine. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Congrats Roisin Murphy The stream of the year Hit me
0: Stream of the year As important as it Like it was the most important thing I think for so many people Other voices coming through Time and time again Then there was uh, There was the The copiers shall we say Coming through as well But I think just the quality And the The production And the the cameras and oh, it's just so many emotional moments um, in uh, in other voices throughout the whole year in all its guises. It was just brilliant.
1: Film of the year. We've got two here. Well, we can put them both in because one is a, dra- or a feature drama and one is a documentary.
0: Andrea, film of the year. My film of the year. I keep going back to it. It's so... Uh, I just... Um. so it's just taken over my psyche. I think Uh, and Horses, so powerful, such a great movie and such a great Irish movie.
1: And my favourite documentary of the year um, is The Eighth, starring Andrea Horan uh, and also people like Alva Smith and so on.
0: (laughs) A million other people who are uh, amazing. And that is actually getting its UK release in March. Fantastic. And
1: my other thing to do with film is that I think obviously loads of us, as you were saying, Andrea, were gravitating towards streaming platforms, etc. I think Mubi has been a good addition to my life as a film related thing. So I'm going to give that also a chunk
0: of the non-existent physical award. Can I give an anti-award to (laughs) Film of the Year? I've heard so much about it so I said you know what I'm going to go with the $8.99 and I did it last night I paid $8.99 to watch last Christmas Jesus Christ it's muck it's oh my god! I think I definitely think it might be the worst film of the year you know I love a little light frivolous film it's shite maybe I just wasn't in the humor anyway we'll move on TV moment of the year Oh, what a moment. It's many moments. It's like, it's so iconic that, uh, like, I've gone on a journey with this. That at the start, I was like, sorry, this is outrageous. How is this on our television? And then I've kind of come to respect it and go, maybe the producers and team on this are absolute genii because it is so iconic that it, it makes me live. T- what is it? What is the TV moment of the year award? The TV moment of the year is Nigella's pronunciation of microwave. No, it's not. It is Claire Burns' iconic and completely crazy uh, scene setups. <laughs> we've we've a selection of them to go from. There was the the broadcast from the shed, which iconic, and it's like it's so iconic. Um, then the Fair when she got no, that wasn't it, but when uh, the fair city flu vaccine, when they all got their vaccine, the fake pub, um, the fake airplane cabin, um, when they had the fake shop illustrating how we might walk into shops like, <laughs> like, <laughs> however else would we know? Um, Claire Byrne getting vaccinated while in her car driving through the studio, uh, like. Just all in all, I-,
1: I love Claire Byrne as a broadcaster. Love,
0: I like, and I, 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 I too I have tell- gone on a journey love, with this as well. I love her on television. Um, I, I just, it's just iconic. We're we're hashtag blessed, you know, in Ireland with our media.
1: And it needs to be. It needs to end with the ultimate, um, setup. Setup of her getting the. COVID, uh, COVID vaccine.
0: I think imagine how iconic if they got all the party leaders and Claire getting it. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Like and in it in a shed. Kate O'Connell's got to do it. Yes. There you go. Or, or,
1: or Leo vaccinating uh, Micheál Martin.
0: No, it's too dangerous. I, I don't know. <laughs> He's a GP. I know, but now imagine him, Hannah Needle and Mihal Martin in the same situation. Mm, fair. <laughs> okay.
1: And now uh, moving on, it's the Journalism of the Year bonus award that I've just put in here. Um, <laughs> and that award, it's a three-way tie. Uh, the journalis- Irish Journalism of the Year bonus United Ireland award. Uh, it's very long. Uh, it took me a lo- very long time to engrave on the gong. Uh, goes to the book, Champagne Football, the podcast, Where Is George Gibney, and the scoop, Ethan more Breaking Golf Gate. Gorge. Now, tuna chicken roll of the year, Andrea.
0: Two of them. Uh, one is bicep apricots. Uh, yes. Tuna chicken roll. And the other one is... Like, the, I think these two songs really sum up coronavirus for me. Uh, Rain On Me, Purple Disco Machine, Remix of Gaga and Ariana. So you've got a bit of pop and a bit of bop. Oh, oh my God, a bit of pop and a bit of bop. You just can't make that shit up. Uh, <laughs> number 12, Radio Moment of the Year. Take it away, Anna. We've
1: got... Well, we've got four in here. So we've got Mango's new radio show on SoundCloud every Sunday, Smoke Breaks and Handbrakes. We have Dublin Digital Radio as in general, <laughs> as a whole. We have Sarah McInerney's stint on the ex John O'Rourke, now Claire Byrne slot, and her final day when she said, oh, Jesus.
0: Like, that um, is the best radio that's ever existed in my mind. Uh, sorry we have more we have more
1: and we so then the other part of the other nominee slash potential co-winner is the certain episodes of Liveline that really really dug into the human experience of what people were going through in the pandemic they happened at various times they happened kind of early on and crucially, in the day, uh, it was the Friday, I think, after um, The Examiner broke the Golfgate story. And people were just basically coming on and, and emoting and not in a really kind of contrived way or a forced way. And obviously, Joe Duffy is so empathic. Like, he, he's such an extraordinary broadcaster. And um, people just talking about what the fuck they were going through. Like, you know, the, the absolute human tragedy of saying goodbye to loved ones outside windows, of not being able to go to funerals, of um, missing people's dying moments um, and and how it's centre, how LiveLine has managed to centre uh, human loss in this debate. I know we're having a bit of crack here today, but like it's so key to keep remembering that that people have died, people have lost their lives, people have got sick, people are in hospital right now. And I think Liveline, I think Real McCormick did an amazing job in the in the Times with the, uh, with other journalists with the Lost Live series. thought that was fantastic. I think Joe Duffy, and I think Ryan Tuberty actually has been, has done the best broadcasting of his life this year as well. But I think Joe Duffy for me um, has, man- I know people often like think Liveline is just a bit of gas and I, I think he's really managed to hold that um, that kind of like community notice board connection that people uh, didn't have because we were all in lockdown uh, repeatedly and and managed to actually allow people the space to talk about their grief and their anger and their sense of helplessness and also sense of hope as well. So I actually think we should give radio moment of the year award to those
0: Liveline programmes. Fine, I'd look scabby if I didn't. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) Book of 2020. Our Book of 2020 award goes to 32
1: Words for Field by Mancon McGann. And now it's time for our Society Awards. Which we're
0: going to zoom through. Best
1: decision this year, Andrea. The ban... Apart from...
0: Apart from what?
1: I was saying apart from not drinking margaritas in lockdown because you get a pandemic hangover. It's terrible.
0: Go on. <laughs> um, the best decision was the ban on co-living. Even though one on Cork Street is, with 300 uh, rooms is snuck through. Um, yeah, that was a great decision. Also, getting the pup up and running quickly um, really was great. And like probably the highlight for the government... Um, stopping riots and keeping everyone going. And uh, yeah, brilliant. The worst decision, on the other hand, go. Accepting an invitation
1: to a golf event, gala dinner, <laughs> not keeping the gates of the Phoenix Park shut, and Dublin City Council's lackluster measures in town, although we do love the bike lanes and the North, North Keys, promised long term pedestrianisations and the College Green Plaza. Uh, and transforming outdoor spaces didn't really happen.
0: And all the the junk where the College Green Plaza is meant to be, like if you try and look at Trinity, it's literally like you can't get an unobscured view at all.
1: I think we'll give that to accepting an invitation to a golf event gala dinner is the worst decision award. Um, You have here, Andrea, the Asshole of the Year Award.
0: Yeah, I'm going to keep it very brief to one word. That's just going to turfs. Excellent. Um, I have read this this week that we'll probably one day get to it. Um, that turfs are or the LGB alliance are lamenting the erasure of lesbians.
1: Yeah. Um, well, on on an optimistic or positive aspect of that. If you are a journalist or media worker and want to learn more about trans discourse in trans rights discourse in the media, you can sign up to Talking Sense, which is an online event I'm doing with Tiny and GCN on January 7th. Hero of the year award for me goes to the young Irish people, particularly young Black Irish people, young Irish people of color who led the Black Lives Matter marches around the country. Um, I think that. Uh, enthusiasm, activism, pain and um, organising just generally like spontaneously or otherwise uh, and leading that new movement is a hugely hugely important moment in Irish social history that has kind of been overlooked. So you're the heroes of the year.
0: Uh, The worst moment of 2020. Well, where do do you go with this one? um, it definitely is in March when nobody knew what was going on we were in our houses alone not knowing where the year would lead us um, and what the fear of seeing coronavirus roll out around the world Yeah, that, that
1: was those that March, April times were, were definitely the worst moments um,
0: but collectively the best moment of 2020 uh, was the vaccine's arrival and the best thing about the vaccine's arrival was that it was the most like Irish vaccine giving that has ever happened. Uh, The nurse is just like, oh no, you're lovely, that's great. Oh no, will you go and have a nice cup of tea? Yeah, you will, blah, blah. It's just like, oh my God, I'm absolutely living for this. And obviously because of the vaccine, but also the just the, it's the soft entertainment that you love as well.
1: Mm. And also a family member saying that she was going to go for a turkey dinner in a pint of Carlsberg when she was uh, at a hospital, which I loved. And finally, the best podcast listeners of the year award. Oh my God,
0: who's it going to go to? It goes to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us through this for supporting us, for allowing us to make this, um, for your feedback, for your suggestions, for your emails, for absolutely everything. It's just been so wonderful to be able to to go and like, I'm going to send all namaste, but to be able to go on the, this journey, A, to have a record of what the journey was, um, I think we will be something we'll look back on so to have that but also to have a purpose and a reason and to be able to channel the experience and the emotions into something productive was really uh, beneficial to us but also from what we've heard beneficial to you so thank you
1: a happy new year
0: tuna chicken roll it has to be bicep apricots let's go let's go